And I'm going to tell you a story that many of you have already heard, but it illustrates a series of events. It illustrates a course of events that just happened naturally in a lot of different ways. When I was either a freshman or a sophomore at UAB, I don't remember when, but one day my math teacher came in and said, now a lot of you are not doing well. Well, of course, I immediately began to look around at all these poor people who are struggling with math, right? So with private conversations, it was made abundantly clear that I was one that was not doing well. And her offer to everyone that day, after that revelation, she made the offer that if you will withdraw today, I'll give you a withdrawal passing, which means it would appear as though I had never been in the class, everything is fine, record's good, start over another time. And I said, show me those numbers, and she showed me those numbers, and I, after that revelation, rejected her offer which meant I was then released to reap the results of my choice. And I tell you that story again. In fact, I did fail the test, failed the class, still don't like math, but God's working on my heart. I tell you that story again, not just to uh, announce to you that I'm a poor math student, but that series, there's a revelation And what was revealed to me, I rejected, which then meant I was released. She said, okay, take the test, take the final. You know, you own your own, that kind of thing. And the results I had to own. Now, if you've been here through this early part of these messages in Romans, we see that very same course of events, so to speak. There's a revelation of God. We saw last week in Scripture that God reveals Himself, that we are without excuse because nature indicates there's a God. It's not enough for saving knowledge, but there is enough to have a knowledge of God. But even with that revelation, we are told that humanity often will reject that. And what we will read today is that God will release us then. Well, we hear this in a lot of different ways. There's a revelation, and then we have to determine what to do with it. If we reject it, there are things that happen. This building that's being constructed out here, the North Welcome Center, it's been delayed for several weeks because we had to confirm that the distance and the amount of steel that we have planned is going to be enough to hold it. If they had revealed to us there's not enough steel planned to support the roof and we rejected that and moved forward, we would be released in the sense that it would be on our heads, literally and figuratively, if the roof fell in. Thank you. I didn't tell that in all the other stories, our sermons. Uh, Our society knows that drinking has repercussions. To mix drinking and driving is no longer just dangerous, it's illegal. Society often finds out that when someone rejects that truth, they are released and they reap the rewards, the repercussions, if you will. It happens again and again and again and in a lot of different ways. And so we begin today in verse 24, and the first word we read is, therefore. Now, you've heard me say, and it is so cheesy, but when you see a therefore, you want to know what the therefore is there for. This therefore is there for the fact that there is ungodliness and unrighteousness. That as we saw last week... 
People suppress the truth. People choose not to honor God. People do not give thanks to God. People exchange the glory of God for idolatry. Therefore, the Bible is going to say to us three times today that we have been given over by God. Now that word to give over is a very common word in Greek and it simply means to hand over. But what the Bible is describing is what God does to those who continue to reject his revelation, to reject his truth, to choose idolatry over the worship of the one true God. And what one writer said is that this is a description of divine abandonment. That God has stepped back and he has released humanity to reap what they sow. It's the withdrawal of his care, the withdrawal of his concern, the withdrawal of his management. It's an end of his protective care and attention. It is allowing sin to take its toll, to have its way with humanity. Now, that does not mean that things cannot be corrected. Because until God says it's over, then there is the gospel, there is grace. So keep that in mind. But what we're reading today is a very difficult passage of Scripture. It deals with issues that are very relevant for us today. But it is a hard word to share. But would you look with me the three things God says he gives them over to. First of all, the lust of their hearts. Look at what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1 verse 24. There the Bible says, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The Bible says God gave them over. He handed them over. He has this divine abandonment to the lust of their hearts. Lust simply means... An uncontrolled craving. To lust after something means that we are consumed with the thoughts of that thing, that person, that event. It is the word epithumeo. It's a compound Greek. The word epi means toward. Thumos means passion. And so what the Bible says is that in our sin, God gives us over so that we are constantly having passion toward, passion toward, toward passion over certain things. And in this passage, it's not a positive thing. You know, it's good to be passionate about some things, passionate to achieve, passionate to complete, passionate about life and work and children and advancement, but this, in this context, is describing what First John talks about, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. It is a giving over to the forbidden passions of our flesh. In this passage, it's called the lust of the heart. And I've said before, and we'll say again, that our heart is not the seat of the emotion. When you read the Bible and it talks about our heart, it's not talking about how you love someone and all the emotions. For them, the heart, the heart was the driver. One writer said of this that the heart is our control center. Gleason Archer, the New Testament scholar, said, 
that the heart is the desire producer that makes us tick. So wherever your heart is, that's where you are. Whatever you set your heart on, that's what you're going to pursue. So in this passage, we are told that we are given over to the lust of our hearts. We are toward passion in our hearts. And then he goes further to say to impurity. So when we're sinning, this downward spiral away from God, always downward, never upward, we are given over to the lust of our hearts for impurity. That Greek word is the word catharsis, which means clean. If you've ever had a good cry, anybody ever just needed to cry, and you cry, and you get it out, and you say, oh, I feel better. That was cathartic. This is the opposite. It's a combo word. It's the word acatharsis, which means it is not clean. We are given to uncleanness. And the Bible says that the way this is played out is in the dishonoring of our bodies. Now listen to what John MacArthur says of this passage. I quote, When men seek to glorify their own ways and to satisfy their bodies through shameful indulgence and sexual and other sins, their bodies along with their souls are instead dishonored. When man seeks to elevate himself for his own purposes and by his own standards, he inevitably does the opposite. The way of fallen mankind is always downward, never upward. The Bible says we exchange the truth of God for a lie. What, what does that mean? There are some people who exchange the truth of God for a lie. You've heard people say, God's too harsh. God's judgmental. I can't be perfect. They exchange the truth of God who does have standards but is loving and kind and gracious and desires for all of us to have a meaningful, purposeful life. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. What is the lie? Just feed your flesh. You're going to feel better. You're going to enjoy life. And the Bible says they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And we can see this in our own culture, how we as a culture are so given to the worship of the creature rather than the creator. What do I mean? In our culture, who matters most? I do. You do. We do. And that is not the way God has planned this. And in our culture, we see this in the way that we deal with the creature. We deify our bodies. We live in a culture that makes more and more of bodies than is even healthy. We destroy bodies. Sin does that. We'll read of crimes almost daily where a body has been dishonored and destroyed. And so that's the first step. The Bible says that God gives them over to the lust of their hearts, to the impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies. The second thing is we're given over to dishonorable passions. The first mention is immoral. The second step is unnatural. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men 
committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. There's no other way to understand this passage than that this is describing homosexuality. I say what I say now with great love and as much gentleness as I can, but this particular topic is so relevant in our culture today. And I told you last week, and I'll tell you again this week, I am going to spend time on this topic alone in the coming weeks. I'll address it specifically with love, but honesty from the Word of God. How do we address it? How do we respond? How do we handle it? Because so many of us are affected by this particular issue. So I'll just pass over today, make a few comments, but in the coming weeks there will be more. Please be aware. In this passage, women are mentioned first. The only reason I highlight that is because Scripture says first the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Charles Hodge, the old theologian, said... Paul first refers to the degradation of females among the heathen because they are always the last to be affected in the decay of morals. And their corruption is therefore proof that all virtue is lost. So the fact that he mentions women first describes how far society has fallen. And scripture describes this activity, this particular sin, the giving over to this as dishonorable or degrading. Again, with great respect and love. But the Bible says this is shameful activity. It is not something to be respected. This is not something that we would normally brag about, talk about. It's typically something we would hide. It's not something to be proud of. And I'm not trying to be cute. I'm trying to be as faithful to God's word as I can with love. And I mean no disrespect. But pride parades are in stark opposition to what God's word says. It is the complete opposite of pride. It is shameful. And the Bible does not stop there. It's not only described as dishonorable or degrading. It's described as unnatural. And that word simply means what you know it to mean. It is not according to nature. It is not the natural function. It is contrary to design, both for men and for women. And Paul says that the men especially are the ones that are consumed with passion. The Bible says their passion burned. And just as a comment, just as a comment, this issue generates passion. We, we know that physically, but there are things to be said about this. There's an inordinate amount of passion, fleshly passion associated with homosexuality. In the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 19, there's the story told of the angels coming to rescue Lot to take he and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you're not familiar with that passage, it is where this particular sin gained the name that it had for so many years, sodomy. It's from that particular geographic location. The angels come, Lot brings them into his house, and the Bible says that every man of the city young and old, went to Lot's house and they were trying to get into the house so that they could know the male guest. 
That is a biblical way of describing their desire for homosexual sexual activity with these guests. And in Genesis 19 verse 11, we are told that the angel struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. See, the Bible describes this particular sin as that which generates great passion. In that account, those struck blind, they harm themselves, they wear themselves out, still groping, still fighting, trying to get at the men that they wanted. Their passion burned. And in our culture today, it is evident that this particular sin generates great passion. I do not know of another particular issue that has such passion behind it. And it demands, they demand, they are passionate that you and I accept and bless and adapt. And they do so passionately. But the Bible says that they receive in themselves their penalties. Did you see what Scripture says? Scripture says that men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error, it has a tremendous effect on those who practice this particular sin. God gave them over. God gave them over. And then, again, God gave them up. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Slanderers, hater of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. That's a very big list. And I believe that I find myself in that list. Perhaps you find yourself in that list. The Bible says since they would not acknowledge God, he gave them over to a depraved mind, which results in people doing and acting in ways they should not. Now, the word debased or depraved means something has been tested and it has been proven to be a failure. It has been proven to be unqualified. It was used of metal that day. They would test metal. And if it was filled with impurities, they would say, it is debased. It is not qualified. It is not good. They would use this word. And so this is a list of what it looks like. When you and I do not honor God as we should and we experience in ourselves these sins. It's people doing what they ought not do. And the Bible says that when you and I turn against God, he hands us over, gives them up. He releases us to all of these sins, all manner of unrighteousness. Now, I don't know if you were 
hear when this came up in the sermon or if you were listening, but an ungodly attitude will result in unrighteous activity. When our mind towards God is not right, then our actions will be wrong. If we're not thinking right, if we're not loving God as we should, then our actions will show it. And so the very first thing on this list is all manner of unrighteousness. It simply means ungodly behavior. And then he gives us this huge list of ungodly behavior. He says they are given over to evil. That just means the a lack of basic moral values, a perverse approach to life. He says that coveting is a sin. That's when we see something that we want. Somebody's got it, I want it. I want more. He says people become malicious. That's deliberate wickedness. He says people have hearts full of envy. That, that's an attitude of ill will towards others. It's not just that you want what they've got. You want something bad for them. And then he says murder. We know what this is. We hear about this every day. In our country yesterday, there was more murder. In Gunnersville last week, there was a murder. We are constantly surrounded by this. And you sometimes want to say, why is this happening? How is this going on? Why so frequent? It's people who are far from God. And God is allowing us... To reap that which happens. Strife. The word is contentious. It means one who's given to arguing or strife or controversy. Have you ever known somebody that was just argumentative? Now my wife snickered when I said that in the first service. I couldn't believe it. But have you known folks like that? Don't point, don't look, don't nod, don't write a name down. There are some folks that are just contentious and, and if they can't find a fight by golly they'll start one why sin that's why and so this huge list goes on and on not just strife but deceit that word means to bait it was used of fish hooks it was used of animal traps it's a deliberate effort at catching others there are some folks that act deceitfully towards others why sin malicious that literally means to be ill-natured. It's someone who takes everything with an ill-natured view. There are people in this world who are malicious. Then he mentions gossip. Good night alive. Gossip. I mean, it's like the Word of God has a mirror, and here I am. Have you ever gossiped? You have. And you say, well, it's not as bad as that. I'm telling you this list is meant to describe for you and for me how ugly sin is. And every single one of us are sinners. And you say, well, at least it's not unnatural. Friend, I'm telling you, it is contrary to God's desire for our lives. And if we gossip, we're just as guilty of sin as anyone else on this list. Slanderers, speaking of others in a harmful way. Haters of God. I'm telling you, we live in a day and age where it's more uncommon to love God than it is to hate God seemingly there are those that just hate God insolent that's an arrogant 
wantonness. It means that without regard, we're moving through life in this arrogant manner. And then the next one is haughty, which translates arrogant. That means we think more of ourselves than we should. And it's not enough that we think more of ourselves. The next one is boasting. We actually put words to our haughty attitudes. Well, I'm better than them. I would never do that. You better be careful. Friend, I'm telling you, sin is ugly. Boastful. Inventors of evil. Have you noticed that it seems the longer we live, the more creative ways people find to do evil things? And you find yourself going, how could they even think of that? You, you hear about things that are in movies. That's considered entertainment. You go, how in the world did somebody with a warped mind come up with sin? means that we're inventing ways to be evil. Is this a hard list? It's a hard list. It's a hard word. Inventors of evil. And then the next thing that he says is disobedient to parents. He could have gone all day without mentioning that. Because I think there may have been one time in my life I was disobedient to my parents. And you say, well, surely not. That's not as bad as all these other things. Listen, if you've never learned it, you need to learn it now. Sin is sin is sin and it is all ugly to God foolish now this word it's interesting not just foolish you know the behavior of acting foolish but the connotation of this word is they are content with their foolishness they're happy to remain foolish they don't want to be taught better they don't want to learn so foolish faithless a better translation in English is untrustworthy if you know folks you just can't trust you look at them and think, mm. you walk away and say ah why? Sin. And, and then he closes out the list by saying they are heartless and ruthless. And the Bible says they know it's wrong. But in this situation, the knowers are the doers. God says they are handed over in that they know it's wrong, but they're going to do it anyway. And I thought, you know, how am I going to illustrate that? I really pondered, how do I paint this picture for you all to show you how ugly sin is? And I thought, I got too many options. I got too many options to show you the effects of sin on our world. There are videos out there I could show you of folks who are down in the French Quarter partying, and they say, we know this is wrong. I couldn't show you all the videos you can find. But man, we're going to enjoy it. We don't care. And so I thought rather to show you something of a bit more hopeful nature. The, the picture that you're about to see is a theater in my hometown. That is the Lyric Theater. It was built in the early 1900s. And when it was built, it was said of the Lyric, it is as quality a theater as you will find in New York City. In the early 1900s, up through the 1920s, all the big movie stars came to this theater. Performers would come. Big names. This was a place to go. It was a show place here in the South. But look what it became. Do you see how clearly water came through the roof and it affected the plaster on the wall and the paints peeling or faded totally? 
You can see how the dust and debris built up. You can see all the seats are gone. And you walk into that theater and you think, this is not what this was created to be. And friend, I want to tell you, this is not the best illustration you'll ever hear, but what a wonderful reminder. This is what a life in sin looks like to God. This is not what we were created to be. This is not what we were created for. We were created a beautiful creation. We were created to have a purposeful life. But when we choose to reject God, the Bible says he'll give us over. He will release us, and the results are very harmful, very hurtful, very ugly. But just as you would imagine, you're already a few steps ahead of me. There's some folks who've made some changes to the Lyric Theater. This day and age, the Lyric looks like that. They've come in, they've fixed the plaster, they've updated the paint, they've put new seats in, new carpet, new curtain, and man, I'm telling you what, it is a place to go in Birmingham for a show. What a wonderful reminder of what God can do. So I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me close. Because there is the great risk that some things I've said today are very hurtful to people. I want you to understand, sin is sin, and it is ugly. And it takes a toll on people. But until God calls us home, there's hope for everyone. Regardless of the sin they are in, regardless of how far gone they are, wherever they would plot themselves on this lengthy list of sins, I'm telling you, God in His grace can turn any ugly life into a beautiful showplace of His grace. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why we proclaim the gospel. Because there's hope for everyone. And Paul is going out of his way to make clear. We're going to be camped out in some difficult passages for weeks to come. But I'm telling you, we need to understand. It's not just their sin that's ugly. It's my sin that's ugly. And Jesus went to the cross for my sin. But thanks be to God, I've been cleansed. Would you pray with me? Today, Lord, we're thankful for the glorious gospel of Jesus. Regardless of how ugly our sin is and how far gone we are, there's hope because Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. And I pray that those who hear this message, regardless of the method, that they will hear and understand once and for all that God loves them. There's no sin too great to be forgiven by God's grace. So while we thank you for that, we celebrate that, we ask that you would speak into all of our hearts. It's so easy for us to hear something like this and think, yeah, those people, Lord, I need to hear this. I need to hear how ugly my sin is. And I thank you for your forgiveness. May we all Live this day in the assurance that our sins have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And that that offer stands for anyone and everyone. And we thank you in his name. Amen.